Good morning, you hope. It is so good to be here. I'm always thrilled to hang out with you guys and to share God's word. I reckon I've got the best job in the world. I get chance to share God's word, which is, it never changes, and it's always encouraging. This week we're in part number four of possessing God's future for your life. God has a future for you. He has a plan. What you need to, many of you have heard that, but the point is, he has a plan. You, though, have a part in this plan where you need to possess what his plan is for you. You need to take some action. So I would encourage you to pull out your outline, and we're going to look at these. We're going to start off in Joshua chapter 1. So if you have your Bibles, I'd encourage you to open them up. If you haven't got them, you'll find the, the majority of these scriptures are on the screen. Friends, Joshua has always been one of my personal favorite characters in the Old Testament. He's mentioned in the New Testament as well. He was an amazing general. Generals like General Schwarzkopf in the U.S. military. I love that Joshua accomplished the impossible in spite of really tough and what we call long odds. The chance of success was very small, and he had a lot of opposition most of his life. His life was one battle after another. Can anybody identify with that one? <laughs> battle this, battle that, just get through one, you went to another battle, right? So many of you can identify with that, but here's the deal. He never, ever gave up. Men, men. Let's learn from Joshua today. Let's learn about his characteristics, what he did, so that God would use him in the life. This is not exclusively for men, but I want to specifically challenge you men to lead. I want you to challenge you to lead in your own homes. I want to challenge you to lead with the people you have influence with. In the background is Joshua 1. They're on the verge of crossing. There's a border here, the promised land, into the promised land. By the way, they have been here before, about 40 years ago. They've been in the exact spot. They've been wandering around, though, for the last 40 years in the desert. Why? Because last time they were here, they failed miserably to trust God. That has serious implications for you. It had very serious implications for the, for the Israelis. They had failed to trust God. And they'd said, we know you want that, but nah. It's too comfortable here. We just want to make ourselves secure and not cause too much trouble. Let's not rock the boat. And they had failed to trust God 40 years ago. So God says, okay. So he lets them wander for 40 years around a hot, dry, dusty desert, which some of you will see next year when you come with us to Israel. A hot, dry, and dusty desert. See, the unbelief and their disobedience to God's command had disastrous consequences. It waylaid them for 40 years. But now, we're back at the border, and there's a brand new generation all the old stubborn guys were gone. And they were ready now to cross the Jordan River, knowing they were going to go forward this time. We ain't doing that one again. And we're going to possess the land. I love that. So let's pick it up on Joshua 1.11. It 
three days from now, you will cross the Jordan and go in and take possession of the land that the Lord is giving you. So he's giving it, but you have a responsibility to get up and take action and to move. So God said to Joshua, I have an incredible future ahead for, you, for your people in this new land, but it is going to be a fight. None of this stuff are easy street. If you are considering the claims of Christianity today, I want to tell you it will not be easy street. There's no misrepresentation here. Just as it was for Joshua that God had promised this land, it was going to be battle after battle. You're going to fight. God is saying to these people, you must take possession of what I want to give you. You need to catch it. When I give it, you need to take it. So what will the future hold for you? I can tell you what the future is going to hold for you with absolute confidence. The future is going to hold for you a mixture of battles and blessings. That's what it's going to take. And God's going to develop your character through that. Just like Joshua. And God says to you, I have great things I want to do in and through your life. Things that you haven't even considered, even though you've been stuck in the past with other issues. But you, my friend, your best days are ahead of you. But you must possess that land. How do you do that? And in this church, it's one thing to say, this is what we must do. Part of my responsibility is to show you how. So you and I are without excuse. God says it's not the hearers, it's the doers of the word that are justified. So by doing the same three things that God told Joseph to do in possessing his future. And in Joshua 1, God comes to Joseph, uh, try again, to Joshua Joseph was last week, and he gives him a pep talk. He says, hey, listen up. I know that you're now going to be in battles for the next 25 years. Wow. So he says, I know you're going to need some encouragement. I know this because I know the future. I know this, so I'm going, to give you some, um, I'm going to give you some encouragement. And if you do these three things that I'm about to tell you, Joshua, you're going to be able to make it through. Three things. Let's touch on them for a start. You do these three things, they'll make an impact with your life. First, you need to set up a plan. Set up a plan and follow it with God's command. Second, stay in the word. Third, step out in faith. And God says, if you do these things, you will possess the plan that I have for you. Firstly, set up a plan. Number one, set up a plan. God plans. For I know the plans that I have for you, Chris. I know them. See, he has plans. God plans. And you should plan too. Get with the plan. Get with God's plan, not your plan, his plan. God had a plan for Israel. What was it? To possess the promised land. That was his plan. The problem was people didn't get with the plan. We need to get with God's plan. God has a plan for the church. Do you know that? He's coming back for his bride. We need to get with the plan. And God has a plan for your life. You need to get with the plan. His plan. You need a plan for your future because that's where you're going to spend the rest of your life. And if I found if you don't stick to God's plan, everybody else has got a great plan for your life. Huh? Your mother, your brother, your sister, your kids. Everybody's got a plan. Here it is. 
Verse 2. Moses, my servant, is dead. Well, that's put a full stop to that, hasn't it? <laughs> He's dead. He's gone. Gone, burger. Now, now then, knowing that, you and all these people get ready. Get ready to get with a plan. His plan. To cross the Jordan River. That was God's plan. And I, God, will give you every place where you set your foot. As I promised Moses. Circle, get ready there. God says, get ready for the future. Prepare for the future. Are you preparing for the future? Or just existing for today? You must prepare to possess what God has promised. And this is what Joshua is doing right now. Verse 11, first part of that. So Joshua then said, ordered the people, get your supplies ready. Successful people plan for the future. I have a question to you again. Do you plan? Or do you just let life happen to you? Are you making plans? Here's real practical thought. Have you given any thought to what's going to happen this year in your spiritual life? What do you want to happen? In your spiritual life, have you given any consideration to that whatsoever? How about in your ministry? Have you given any attention and focus and energy to look at that, what that's going to look like this year? How about in your family life? Have you got some plans for what that wants to look like by the end of this year? Any strategic waypoints along the way? i found if I think about it, that's one thing. If I write it down, it's another thing. And if it gets in my diary, it's going to happen. <laughs> if it doesn't make it to my diary, it's dubious whether it will ever happen. Maybe you're different. Or are you kind of just drifting through life, bouncing from crisis to crisis? God says, look at where you're going and set up a plan to get there. Look at where you want to go and set up a plan. Notice, Moses, my servant, is dead. Underline that. One of the ways that you prepare for your future that God has for you is to let go of your past. Joshua and Moses had worked together for years, but now Moses was dead and God wanted to communicate to Joshua, even though Moses is dead, I have a plan for your life. Now, sometimes we can let past relationships or past issues from keeping us from possessing the future that God has for us. Maybe it's an unexpected death or a divorce. It can be very disorienting. And God says, let go of the past so you can get on with the present that I have planned for you. What do you do when you have a bad failure or a bad experience or a hurt? You do what Joshua did. You have to let it go and Joshua had to prepare himself. Proverbs 20 verse 18 says, don't go charging into battle without a plan. God plans again, and we need to plan. Proverbs thirteen sixteen from the Living Bible. A wise man thinks ahead. So on this first point, evaluate yourself on how you're possessing the future. Have you set up a plan? If I were to ask you one word or a phrase that describes your plan for this year, what would it be? Would it be no plan? Well, none so far. A minimal plan, a kind of vague one? Or would you be able to say, I have prayerfully planned and written out goals and plans for 2019 to possess the future God has for me? Number two, stay 
in the word. God says to Joshua, you're going to be in the battle for the next 25 years. You're going to be fighting. And friend, your Bible is your instruction manual for the battles of life. Notice verse 7. Be careful to obey all the law. Do not turn for it to the right or to the left, that you may be successful wherever you go. What he's saying here, friends, 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 do not get sidetracked. When you run a race, you're in your lane and you're going for that line with huge, aggressive determination. You're not going to wander off to see a daisy over there that catches your eye. No, look at it, a daisy. You're getting to get across that line in the fastest possible time. Have you noticed how easy it is today as a Christian to get sidetracked? To get off into other things which are trivial and unimportant. I see people come to church over the years in many countries and they get excited for the Lord for a period of time and then they start to get sidetracked and the numbers of side of options in sidetrack are many some get sidetracked in their career which they falsely believe is more important than their kingdom calling or they get sidetracked by a hobby or a financial difficulty sidetracks them in a whirlpool for a while or an illness or Children, I know, we've had four. Whatever, somehow, this is what happens, and this is my point, they lose focus on the word. They lose it. And some of you are going to get sidetracked sitting in this room today in 2019. Why? For one reason. Your engagement in the word is at best lukewarm. And that's the key. Verse 8. One of the greatest promises in the, in the Bible is this. Do not let the book of the Lord depart from your mouth. Meditate on it day and night. So that you may be careful to do everything that is written in it. That you may all be prosperous and successful. God says don't go to the right, don't go to the left. Don't get sidetracked with Netflix. Or Instagram. Fill in the dots. Stay in the Bible. Keep your mind saturated with the word of God and you'll be successful in his eyes. The point is this, that God's promise of success, as he defines it, has everything to do with your engagement and commitment to God's word. I found a direct, empirical, provable correlation between your engagement in the word and your spiritual health. How do you stay in the word? Three ways. One, don't let it depart out of your mouth. Talk about the word of God and the love you have for Jesus in your home daily. Daily. Speak it out. Izzy, if we took a, a frequency of the, the number of times Jesus or spiritual conversations come up in your house, if you counted those, how can you manage what you can't measure? The favorite saying in the Buckley household. <laughs> All my boys say it. And my daughter now too. But how can you manage what you can? If, 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 if it's conversation, listen, if, if something's close to my heart, it's coming out of my mouth all the time. Trust me. 
If I'm hot and salt and vinegar chips, I'm talking about salt and vinegar chips, whatever it is. If I'm hot about some particular topic, it comes out of my mouth. Does that make sense? So is the word of God, do not let it depart out of your mouth. Talk about the word of God, about God. Second, meditate it. Think about the word. When your wife sees you on your device, are you watching, you know, Top Gear? What is the predominance of the media that you're watching? Or is it biblical input to strengthen you? Think about the balance. Think about the balance. And then it says, be careful to live, uh, to do everything that's written in it. Always be sure to do and obey it, to live God's word. So what does it mean to stay in God's word? I think it means to talk about it. I think about it. I live it. With your spouse, do you talk to your children, your grandchildren, about the most important things in this life or about the trivia? Have some conversation. 2 Timothy 3.16, the whole Bible was given to us by inspiration from God. And it is useful to teach us what is true. The world says a lot of things are true, which are absolutely not true. In fact, what the Bible says in their last time, the world will call right wrong and wrong right. It'll swap the values, swap the price tags. It was given to us by inspiration of God and it is useful to teach us what is true and to make us realize what is wrong in, my, uh, in our lives. Boy, it does that to me. It straightens us out. And it helps us to do what is right. So God's word straightens me out. Because we have a tendency, maybe you do too, to get bent out of shape. Because <laughs> somebody has tweaked your beak. And boy, are you out of shape. And you are ticked off. But God's word can straighten that thinking out again. It shows me the path to walk on for a start. It shows me how to walk on it. So I stay on it. And when I get off the path, it shows me how to get back on the path, right? And then how to stay on it. It's good for doctrine. Very important word. Reproof, correction, instruction in righteousness, that the, uh, the righteousness of God, that the man of God may be thoroughly furnished in every good work. The Bible says that God's word is food for your soul. Now, I don't know about you, but if you start eating little, little, little bits of it, you're going to get mighty skinny and eventually very weak. What do you, what's your balance like? Junk food or wholesome food? So you need to set up a plan. One, you need to stay in God's word. Two, if you're going to grow in 2019. Actually, Spurgeon, Charles Spurgeon once said this, a Bible that is coming apart is usually owned by somebody who is not. I like that. I like that. One other thing here. Joshua was a very oversubscribed man. He was a leader of a nation. Didn't have a whole lot of spare time, huh? But he prioritized time to read the Bible and to pray daily. Friends, he was a man that was in communion with God. Let me say it really bluntly. Busyness is no excuse for non-engagement in the Word of God. You must take time to stay in the Word daily. So evaluate yourself on this one. And write down, by the way, give yourself an A. Estimate the time you spend reading and studying the Bible each day. You put down your number. Some people, it could be 
five minutes. Some people, it could be 15 minutes. Now, by the way, to balance that, coming back to my statement before, how can you manage what you can't measure? Maybe you need to do this and be brutal. How much time did you spend on that last week? Come on. You go look at that this afternoon. That's just a random one. But you can measure that. How much time are you actually spending on that device compared to what you would like to spend in God? Oh, I love this man over here. He's a man of action. He's pulled it out straight away to check. <laughs> Have a look. What's going on? Is it going north or is it going south? That doesn't lie. Now, for me, what I have, I have a little app. Yes. Ooh. But in my app, everything I do every day, just touch it. And it moves what I'm doing, whether it's devotional, whether I'm working on the New Hope message, what I'm doing. So I can keep a track of where every minute of my working life goes. That's just me. I'm weird. I'm pedantic. When I spend time cooking, click. I start to see how much time I'm spending, where my life is going. The Bible says, Lord, teach us to number our days, which means number our hours, so that I may present to you a heart of wisdom, that I'm not wasting my time. Huh? Now compare that to how many hours you're spending on Netflix or screen time. Because if you want to be successful, if you want to possess your godly future, you've got to set up a plan, you've got to stay in God's word. Number three, and this is where I'm going to spend the most majority of my time as I wrap this up. Number three, you've got to step out in faith. Step out. I like the word step out because it's an action. A lot of people think faith is just something you believe. Friends, faith is more than mental assent. It's action. As the Bible says here in James 2, as the body without the spirit is dead, so faith without deeds is dead. Huh? It's like a car without a driver. Not much use. So whenever you find separation, you find death. It's true in the spirit, physical life where the spirit is separated from the body, so it is also true of the Christian life. When you have a life that's called faith and there's nothing to demonstrate as authentic over the long haul, then an abnormal separation has occurred between faith and works. We're not talking about salvation by works. You know that. But the evidence of a faith that's alive is there are some works because God has made you for good works. Make sure you walk in them. Step out. People say, well, you know, I believe in Jesus. Well, so what? So does the devil. Faith means to commit yourself to take action. You must step out in faith because faith entails action. Three times in this passage, there's a phrase that struck me as I was studying it this week. And it says this. It says, be strong and courageous. Be strong and courageous. Be strong and courageous. Verse 6, 7, and 9. Boom, boom, boom. Three times God says to Joshua, get up, be strong, and be courageous. Get the message. Three times he tells him. Because, and why does he say that? Because in Joshua's life, there's a lot of things that were going to distract him and discourage him and cause him to have despair. But he says, you need to step up, be strong, and be courageous when that stuff comes against you. Step out in faith. Now the background is this. The children of Israel have been wandering around the desert for 40 years. And as we said before, they've had this chance once before. Now they get the second chance, standing at the edge of the River Jordan. And knowing that the moment they step across that river on the other side, they have declared an act of war. Because there are already seven other nations sitting on the other side of this river. 
And that all of them were larger and stronger and more trained than the Israelis. Because Israel didn't have an army. They'd been slaves for 400 years. So a bunch of ragtag slaves, men, women, and children, with no military training at all. And now you know why God is saying be strong and courageous because it doesn't look good in the natural. The things out there, they're going to wear you down the battle, Joshua. What gave Joshua the confidence to move ahead? Verse 9. Remember, I have commanded you to be determined. Are you determined? Do you have that resolute, steely-eyed determination to push ahead into God's future for you? I have commanded you to be confident. (laughs) This is not what he's talking about here. Circle this. Don't be afraid or discouraged. For I, the Lord, am with you wherever you go. Wow. Because he's walking in God's plan. What gave Joshua the confidence to move ahead? God said, remember who you're doing this for. You represent the king of kings. You want to sign up for the Lord Almighty. You're his ambassador. And God says, I'm going to be with you every step. Circle afraid and discouraged. These are, circle those, because these are really two enemies that will prevent you from possessing your future. Fear keeps us from getting started. We don't want to start. Don't want to try. I could never do that. I can't. I can't. I can't. And discouragement keeps us from continuing, from finishing the race. Those two negative attitudes will try to thwart you from making your life count the way God wants you to do. It's fear that keeps you in the desert and the wilderness rather than the promised land. That's what it was, was before. The thing I like about Joshua is he was a man of courage. Now what is courage? Courage is not the absence of fear. It's pushing ahead in spite of my fears. Maybe for you it's to witness to that person at work. Or to commit to the dream that God has given you before. He's putting your heart for the kingdom. And you go, oh Lord, it's going to cost me. Yes, it will. Or in spite of uncertainty or your fear, you push ahead. So in the story, they had to literally, literally step out in faith. You're going to see this. It was like in chapter 3, they came up to the river and it was springtime. It's March and April. Okay? And the banks on the river were overflowing to the flood stage. And normally the Jordan River is about 30 meters wide. Normally about 30 meters wide and about 7 meters deep. But at flood stage, even a modern army would have taken some time to cross this. But 2 million people went across something exactly like this. That's what it looks like in flood stage. That is the River Jordan at the exact spot where they went across. Now, even the modern army would have some challenges getting across that. Would you agree? It's quite turbulent. Two million ragtag slaves who came out of Egypt, it was impossible. But God says, I want you to take the priests. I love that, Ben. You ready? I want you to take the priests. They're to go out in front and carry the Ark of the Covenant and lead the way to start walking into that lot. Right? 
Take the steps of faith. Trust me, and I am going to do a miracle. That's what they said. Now, it's a foreboding sight. You look at that. You've got two million people behind you. Whoa, this is incredible. A severe test of their faith. But the Bible says God dammed up the river at a place 19 miles north of there called Adam. Now, I want you to know, factually, you can check this. At least twice before in history, that river in the flood stage has stopped dead. Once, I'll give you the date, December 19, 1267. It was stopped for 10 hours. And again in July 11th, 1927, this time for 21 hours, the Jordan River was blocked completely. Now God may have used it in this way. And what happened in those days, that river either side, there's a tectonic plate. It moves like this. You're going to get some banks go, watching, and they just stop it dead. But the point was, it was bang on time. God may have used that, but the timing was miraculous. Joshua 3.15, as the priest stepped into the water, the water stopped flying and piled up. They literally had to step out in faith. And this is a beautiful lesson for us. They had to stand in the middle of the river while two million people passed by and they were the last ones to leave. And they had to extend their faith that it wouldn't just whilst they were standing in the river. (laughs) It's fine being first through, but you want to be uh, first out too, right? (laughs) But God said, no, 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 you stay there. You make sure the people get through safely. Hear that, Ben? Here's my principle I want to pull out of this. The first principle is this. The first step is always the hardest. Walking into that river. Oh, boy. (laughs) The first step is always the hardest. In anything. Spiritually, the first step is always the hardest. When you say, I'm going to take the step to believe God and trust you with my life and believe in you. My question to you is, what is your Jordan River? What's the barrier in your mind stopping you from becoming all that God wants you to be for him? Where is it in your life? Is it in a relationship? Is a relationship the problem? Or a career holding you back? Or something holding on to you that you don't want to let go of? What's keeping in the desert and out of the promised land is a question. So evaluate yourself in this third area. My trust in God. Now you may want to write down a phrase that best describes your trust in God today. What we call in business the as is state. What is it now? The as built today. What is it? Is it weak? Is it stuck? Is it growing? Stretch, complete, you name it. So what describes your faith in God right now? At this point. Then the second one, you might also want to write down a word with what would I like it to be? So the as a state, and then what would I like it to be? Maybe you want to write that word down too. And what I admire again about Joshua is he was a man of conviction. He'd go against popular opinion and do the unexpected, the unusual, not the normal safe thing. None of the heroes of faith ever did what was normally considered culturally safe. They stepped out. The Bible says that 40 years earlier, Moses had chosen 12 spies, remember, to go into that land and to spite the land. And they came back. And 10 of them said, my goodness, the fruit's great, but holy smokes, we're outnumbered with all these big guys in there who are battle-hardened. There's no way we can take them. We're like grasshoppers in the sight. And all the other people said, yeah, we are. We're going to get trashed. We're going to get thrashed. 
But there were just two men who had a contrary opinion against the crowd and said, yes, we can. We can do it. They're like bread. We'll eat them up. Easy peasy. They're a completely different attitude. Let's take them on. But the entire nation said no. Two men said yes. Now, to me, it's instructed that 40 years later, God had to let the entire adult population die because of their lack of faith and unbelief. And only two of the original people got into the promised land, and they were who? Caleb and Joshua. And the Bible records of them, listen to this word, these words. It says, they were men of a different spirit. Now, sometimes when you see the word spirit in the Bible, you need to read the word attitude. Well, as Americans say, it's attitude. Okay, attitude. They had a different attitude. They weren't negative and can't, can't, can't. They were, in God we can, because God wanted to give it to them. Now, some of you are saying, well, I don't know, why should I step out in faith? Because it's pretty comfortable where I am now. I kind of like my life. Why should I shake it up? I'm getting older. Friend, never use that as an excuse. Joshua here is 80 years old. 80. 80 years old. When God called him to take new ground, to cross the River Jordan and to push hard for the kingdom of God's sake for the next 25 years. Friends, it is never too late to say yes to God. Remember, nobody remembers people who say it can't be done, the 10 spies. Can you name any of their names? Any of the 10 spies who were the naysayers, the negative Harrys? Sorry, I didn't mean that for you, but the negative warriors. <laughs> we only remember the people who said, yes, we can, we will. It was Joshua and Caleb. With God, it can be done. We just step out in faith, and that's what they did. I think the verse that best reveals Joshua's character is 25.15, was what Joshua said at the end of his life. Choose, hey, Esther, Selene, choose yourself this day, today. Whom you will serve, you've got to make a choice. But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. So men, back to you. Fathers, husbands, have you made that decision in your household? Have you said, this family is going to serve the Lord as far as it depends upon me? This family is going to be a Christian family. Are you ensuring that the word of God and prayer is central? It's your choice. Is Jesus central to your life, not just an extension like an add-on? You know, I've got my house, but I'm going to make this extension, this little add-on. And sometimes the add-ons look very awkward. Is he central or an extension? How about his bride? Is she central? Because tell you what, he's coming back for her. She is very central to his plans. Here's a really challenging practical question, guys. Now, only those of you with great courage are going to do this. I'm going to say it. You can write it down, all of you guys together. So whether you choose to pursue that, it's up to you. But here's a question I highly recommend if you're serious about this, that you talk to your spouse about. And here it is. Very simple. You say, I'd really like to hear what your dreams and hopes for your spiritual life are in the next six months. I'd really like to hear what your dreams and hopes for your spiritual life are in the next six months. You have conversations like that, you're going to move the center and the focus of your household. I'll say it one more time. Ask your spouse, I'd really like to hear what your dreams and hopes are for your spiritual life 
in the next six months. That'll be a very interesting conversation. So what kind of person are you going to be 365 days from now? Some people may wash out because you've never made that decision to be a woman of God or a man of God. God says, make your choice, and the future begins with commitment. Choose you this day whom you're going to serve. What are you going to give your life to? God or trivial second-class causes? Joshua 3.5. Then Joshua told the people, and he challenges them directly. He says, consecrate yourselves. Set yourselves apart, for tomorrow God will do amazing things among you. They're getting ready to cross the Jordan, and he says, consecrate, dedicate, surrender yourself to God. Get ready for something big. The prologue is past. The best is yet to come. And this year is going to be a year of blessings. But it will also be a year of battles and fights. So even when the children got into the promised land, there were still battles to be fought and giant problems to be tackled and overcome. But there are blessings. And I invite you to join me in saying, me, Ian, I'm going to recommit my life to your purposes. I invite you to do that today. And after you've taken that first step of faith, I challenge you to make three commitments as we finish. One, I'm going to prepare and spend more time praying and planning for this year. Set up a plan. I'm going to set up some goals, some spiritual goals. Here's a question. How much of the Bible do you want to read? How much of it? Some of you need to set up a plan to memorize scripture and to have a daily quiet time. Some of you have known this for a while. You need to set up a plan to teach other people, to share your knowledge with other people freely. Some of you need to set up a plan to start tithing and getting involved in a ministry, not consuming but producing. And some kind of spiritual goals, you need to set up a plan. Some of you need to set up some family goals and some physical goals. Here's something that shocked me the other day. My boys sent me this ridiculous um, YouTube clip, which I checked that wasn't a fake. Because my boys will send me all sorts of stuff. Here's this 83-year-old hauling 440 pounds clean and jerk. And the, and the, and the rude comment was, get to the gym, Dad. <laughs> He's 80! 440 pounds? You know, it used to anybody did. Look after the temple of the Holy Spirit, uh, uh, the temple of the Holy Spirit, which is your body. Spend some time looking after your body. Some financial goals. If you're wrapped up in so much debt you can't do anything, you'll find the enemy will use that as an excuse for not doing anything for his kingdom. Or maybe some social goals. Like, are you bringing anybody this afternoon to the international dinner? I'm bringing five people. Are you? Is, does it matter that much? Now, it's not to convert them. It's just to have some time with them. Because guess what? My life's busy like yours is. But... But the team here have invited, are putting this on. It's a great opportunity. Leverage these opportunities to spend some time. Last night I was playing squash and I sat down. Normally, my normal MO, finish the game of squash after I've done that. Great, feeling very good because I actually won that game for a change. <laughs> and normally I'd get a shower and go. We sat on the benches and we spoke for nearly 40 minutes about things that were bothering one of his friends' wives that just died at 30 years old. And this conversation spun around God. See, I could have my agenda, but I decided, no, it's, it's more important to spend time with that guy right then. Have you got some social goals? Do you know anybody 
that you're having in your, in, in your circle of influence that you're bringing into your family to spend some time with. Okay, all of these areas God wants you to work on. But first, to make a commitment to pray and plan. Then second, to make a commitment to stay in the Word, make time, make a commitment to increase the time that you spend in God's Word. And three, make a commitment to step out in faith. By the way, one of those commitments may be also to join a small group. Get involved in a ministry somewhere. Whatever you're doing, though, here's the commitment today and the, and the thrust of it. We need to move forward individually, and we are going to move forward as a church in Jesus' name. Maybe begin giving of your financial resources or sharing your faith. It's been a while since you've even done that. So set up a plan, stand the word, step out in faith. Then God says, I will use you in my purposes, and your life will then count for eternity. Let's pray. Father, thank you for the example of your servant, Joshua. Not that he was anything special of himself, but he was certainly committed to you and to your purposes. We love his courage. May we be like him, men and women of conviction and character and compassion and courage. May we possess the future that you want for us, Lord. We know, Lord, you have great things in store this year, but we also know, as we see in your word, it's not automatic. We must prepare to possess what you've promised. And I pray today that, Lord, we would recommit ourselves, as that verse says, that we should consecrate ourselves because you want to do great things. Holy Spirit, today I personally recommit my life to you. Maybe today you've never opened your life to Jesus Christ. I invite you to, to say in your heart, yes to Jesus. To ask him to forgive your sin. That his death on the cross, you would accept as the full payment. To take that first step of faith. Friends, he wants to possess your life and to fill you with peace power and purpose, and especially the presence of his Holy Spirit. Would you say yes to him today in the powerful and matchless name of Jesus Christ, the one and only Son of God? And everybody said, Amen.